I thought I'd better take the order of service out so that I know what time I have to finish, but I don't listen to that stuff anyway, so sorry. I, just, I used to have one of, the, one of the previous churches I was in, um, had a young girl who said, Neil, when it gets to 11 o'clock, I'm going to wave my hands and stop you. Okay, you can go for your life, but it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> anyway, no, that's not true. I will try as best I can. I met Fred uh, when I was visiting Katoomba Hospital, a single man in his late 60s. Upon entering the room, I made my introductions to him and proceeded to tell him, uh, and he proceeded to tell me, like often they do, is that while he attended church when he was young, he had stopped going and he was no longer religious. He hadn't been for years. He then went on to tell me that he'd been diagnosed with cancer. It was only a matter of time. What do you think I should do, he asked. I know he lives around this area, so I said, look, turn up to Glenbrook Baptist. I didn't say this, I thought it. Turn up to Glenbrook, the, the congregation and Pastor Adrian will make you feel welcome. But that wasn't the question he was asking. What he was saying to me was, I'm scared of dying. What does it look like? Have I done enough to get into heaven? We sat together and uh, we listened to his fears. That night Fred was transferred to Nepean Hospital. I discovered that he was there. So the next day I visited him at Nepean. Entered his room again. Uh, he told me that he'd been told to get his affairs in order. He told me more of his life story of how his mother had died when he was really young and has the eldest child in their family, his, it's his responsibility to look after the sibling, his siblings, about all the turmoil that that had caused for him, that he basically raised his own siblings. And then he said, do you think I'm good enough? It's, not, it's the same question as what you asked the day before, just in different ways. And so we talked and, we, and finally he came to the conclusion that nobody's good enough and that God is a generous and a gracious God. And we need to put our trust and our hope in those places. I met him a, a numerous, numerous times after that. I even spoke to his brother who was there outside one day who was also struggling with the fact that his brother was going to die. Just last week, or the week before, Fred was transferred to another facility. I, don't, I will probably never see him again, except perhaps in eternity. But what a privilege to be able to sit with this man and to hear his story. But Lucy was another patient who got the staff to call the chaplain's department. She was having a struggle, a hospital and, and the, her illness, which also was cancer, by the way had become too much for her. She'd also been told she'd had four to six months to live. And she comes in, I entered the room, do, do my introductions as we always do. We're, we're respectful of how we do that. G'day, my name's Neil, one of the chaplains here. I'm visiting the ward, would you like a visit from me? But because she knew, she'd called us, she, she knew who I was. And so she blurted out, it's not fair. It's not fair. It shouldn't be happening to me. I've lived a good life. I've been in church all my life. My kids have been, my grandkids are in church. 
I have siblings and, and other relatives who are, who are in pastoral ministry. It's not fair that I'm sick, that I'm dying, and I'm going to die in four to six months. Again, there is uncertainty and confusion and fear. At the end of her time together, she said, can you please pray with her and her husband who was also there? And can you read some scripture to me? And so I said, what would you like me to read? And she says, can you read Psalm 27? The Lord's my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my, of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart and wait for the Lord. Again, I tried to visit her on a weekly basis. Generally, when we're in hospital, patients are only there for about three days. That's the average stay of somebody in the hospital. So we don't get to see them very often. But there are some, like Lucy, some like Fred. I've seen another fellow now, and I've seen him every week for the last month or six weeks. The thing with Lucy, as she blurted all this stuff out, she didn't live the time that the doctor said she was going to live. She was told four to six weeks, four to six months. She, she died within a month of her being in hospital. And so we again had the privilege of being able to sit with her and to hear her. Fred's story, Lucy's stories are not dissimilar. There is a theme that runs through this and we get asked this question over and over again. In fact, I got asked again on, on Thursday when I was in. In fact, this time I was asked really angry, angrily. The bloke said, oh, you're just a bunch of God botherers. Um, I don't want to talk to you. Um... And the question goes, son, if we're good, then we're going to get good in return. If we're good and do what God asks us to do, if we're virtuous, then we're going to be prosperous. Evil, on the other hand, will, will yield evil. And so people hear that, and that's, what the, that's what's going on. If God is a God, a good God, if God's a God of love, how come I'm stuck in this place and I don't want to be here? We hear that question at least every day. Now, I have some theological answers that I can give them. That's not what they're asking. They're not asking those questions. What they're doing is they're telling us that they're scared and confused. What they're telling us is that they just really want somebody to listen to them. So everybody has a story. Every story's worth telling. Every story's worth listening to. Part of our role as chaplains is to hear those stories, to value them. And enabling the people who are telling those stories to see how that story fits into God's story. It's helping them understand that their story is important. Their stories matter to God. In fact, more than that, they matter to God. In the Old Testament, it's the story of Job. good story it's a story of the man who uh, chapter one tells us there was a man who was blameless and upright who feared god and shunned evil chapter verse three says he was the greatest man among all the people of the east now story goes something like this this is the it's 42 chapters but it goes something like this the the, 
the the bridged version. God allows Satan to test Job. Uh, The reason was because Satan wanted to find out if Job believed in God or trusted God just because he had all the good stuff or whether there were, if, if bad stuff happened to him, what would he say then? Over a series of events, Job loses everything. Even his wife tells him to curse God. He's at his very lowest, but can he go any lower? He's utterly alone. After this, Job opened his mouth, cursed the day of his birth. Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and that night and the night that said a man-child is conceived. Can you imagine that? Curses the day he was born. I'm alone. We read on. He says, he's put my family far from me and my acquaintances, sorry, I meant to do that, don't I? Um, and my acquaintances are wholly estranged. My, my relatives are close and my close friends have failed me. The guests in my house have forgotten me. My serving girls count me as a stranger. I have become an alien in their eyes. And all my intimate friends are born me. And those whom I've loved have turned against me. My bones cling to my skin and to my flesh. And I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Everybody's left him. He's alone. And often people in hospital feel exactly the same way. I'm alone. Like the cat. I want to be a patient the other day, so I just want to go home and be with my cat. Why? I didn't say that. (laughs) I'm a bit more compassionate than that. Job is so low in all of this, he even thinks that God has abandoned him. That God's left him. Give it all. If I go forward, he's not there or backward. I can't perceive him. He hides. I can't find him. I turn to the right, he's not there. God, it, it, other people have talked about the dark night of the soul. This is what was going on for Job. Everything... God has let everything, all his family, all his friends, everything's gone. Even God's gone. God, the creator, the supreme ruler of all, the God who nothing escapes from him, the God who rewards the good and punishes the evil, he's gone. What's going on? In the story, Job has three friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. slide somewhere that's all right but anyway these guys come to him in chapter 2 they, they said when they hear chapter 2 verse 10 they said when they hear about job's troubles they set out from their homes to go and sympathize and to comfort job and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven di- seven nights no one said a word to him 
because they saw how great his suffering. His friends start off well, but they can't help themselves. And they start hammering him with their advice and opinions. Can we, can the slide go back a bit? I'm just trying to, not, not that one now. And the next one. What they're saying to him is, is, is Job, if you go through all those chapters of, of Job, they're saying, Job, you're a good guy. Even those close to you admired you and looked up to you. You were an important person in this place. You're a source of strength to those around you. God's blessed you. You must have done something wrong. God rewards the blameless but he destroys the godless. You'll be happy again if you repent. Now after some times, after some time Job, um, he can't control himself anymore. Did we get that one there? Yep, okay. He says, I'd speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies. All of you are worthless physicians. If you would only keep silent, that would be your wisdom. Job is sitting on the garbage dump. Him and his mates are sitting there on the garbage dump. And he says, look, I know the theory. In fact, I know the theory better than you do. But you're not the ones in the middle of this great mess. Now it's easy to give advice, isn't it? It's easy to give advice and tell people what they should do and what they shouldn't do. It's much harder to sit with someone. It's easy to put God in a box and say, well, this is how God operates. This is who he is. This is what goes on. This is how God acts. But I think God can't be confined. We can't control God we can't put him in a box God is free it's a quote that we often have in the chapel when we talk it says when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us we often find it's those who, are in, who instead of giving advice solutions or cures have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. powerlessness. That is a friend who cares. So often we want to come in and give all sorts of advice and, and even say things like, it's okay, God loves you, don't worry about it. Which is true, but that's not... That, uh, that minimises some of the stuff that's going on for people. If they had said that to Job, then he would have said, look, you don't get it. What have the three stories of Fred and Lucy and Job got to do with mission? I wonder if we have a temptation to think we have to ride in with all the answers and fix people's problems. 
I was with a patient once who was telling me about her fears. She'd been um, moved into the hospital. She'd been living in this house with her husband who had predeceased her. And she'd been told she's not going back to her home. That she was going to go into a nursing facility. She was scared. She was distressed by that. 50 years worth of trinkets or photos or whatever that don't actually fit into this. And she didn't want to do it. Now, I love nurses. They, they, they do a great job. And, and the medical staff in hospitals do a great job. This nurse at this particular time who was standing over listen, listening to the conversation says, don't worry, Gloria. Everything's going to be fantastic. Should you have your own room, you get your meals prepared for you, your bed will be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. Didn't hear her heart. Didn't hear what was going on with her. And so he interrupted our conversation and then Gloria stopped talking to me after that. The nurse hadn't heard her. And, and the nurses, as Crystal was saying, the nurse's job is actually to fix and to be there and to do all the stuff for the medical. And we want those people there. But we need chaplains there who can actually just listen to people's hearts, to listen to where people are coming from. I wonder what would happen if we really listened to people's stories. Mission, whether it's overseas or it's local or it's in our neighbourhoods, is about listening to people's stories to the things that concern them, the, the worries, the concerns, and even the joys, things that they struggle with also. Missionaries who are successful, if I want to put it in those terms, are the ones who immerse themselves in the culture in which they live. Hearing what's going on from the people who've been there all their lives, or the cultures they're part of, and they build bridges so that Jesus can walk across the bridge. I value and appreciate overseas mission. I've been on short-term mission trips. I've been involved in all sorts of other areas as well. I believe there's a role, and there should be a role, and it's great that this church and other ch this church is supporting overseas mission. I think it's fantastic. I went through your list of the activities that you run as a church, the women's groups and the men's groups and the youth things, and it's all about mission. I think it's great. I understand that at the beginning of this month, Pastor Adrian spoke of the contract that we all sign when we become followers of Jesus. To declare the reality of Jesus to those around us. It seems to me that regardless of who we are, we're all involved in mission. It's not just the job of a select few, it's all of our jobs. Francis of Assisi is a hero of mine. Francis, I don't think he, he's reported to say, I'm not sure he said it, but anyway. He says, everywhere you go, preach the gospel and when, necessar when necessary, use words. Mission is about everything that we do that brings glory to God. Let me try and explain myself a little bit. I'm the son of missionary parents. My parents served with African Land Mission in Kenya. 
the first Sunday after I was born, I was in church. The message that day was Matthew 28, 19 to 20. No, I don't know. That's the one about going to all the world. You know that one? Um, I, don't, I don't think it was. I can't remember. Um, I think my father preached here at least once that I'm aware of. Most of my life has been about mission in one form or another. Uh, previously, the hospital chaplaincy, I was the pastor at Penrith Church. Um, we had a sign over the door that uh, that said, you are now entering the mission field as you are going out. When I was a young child, a young adult, I was going to change the world. I still think that's important. I still think it's necessary. But now when I listen to someone's story, when I hear their confusion and their pain and their fear, when I treat them with respect and with dignity, when I smile, try, try this, here's an activity you can try, when you walk through the plaza, anybody shop at the plaza? Sin of iniquity. Um, when you walk, smile at somebody as you walk past, apart from the fact that they might think you're crazy, maybe, just maybe, you've changed their life for that moment. It's worth doing. I do it in the hospital. Um, we have to wear a mask in the hospital. Um, but one person has said, I can see that you're smiling because I can see the creases in your eyes. I'm going, how can you see my eyes? My family said they're too squinty. So, um, but we just get there. We, just, we don't have to do a great deal. We just have to be there. I've had patients say to me, thank you for listening to me. I've never told that part of the story before. But you heard what I was saying. And I feel much better for your coming. Did they say yes to Jesus? Did they say yes to Jesus as I walked past and I smiled on? I don't know. But perhaps in that moment, there's a place for God to enter into their lives. For us as chaplains, there's a real acknowledgement that God goes before us, that he's there when we're there with the patient, and he's there after we leave. So I have run out of time, but I'm just going to quickly do this. Here are some scriptures that might inform us as, um, as we seek to be involved in mission. There's also stories attached to these, but I'm just going to give the scripture and then you can deal with those at your own time. Here's one of my favourites. Philippians 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Maybe you just need to stop there. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. How was that? He humbled himself, didn't think that he came in with all the answers. The other translation says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Servanthood, listening to the hearts of those around us. Being humble. Humility, by the way, is not putting ourselves down. It's about seeing the right context of who we are in Christ. Made himself nothing. He, the creator of the, of, of the world, the universe, the one who holds it all together, the one who 
has all the answers, but gave it up for the sake of humanity. I wonder if that shouldn't be our attitude in how we treat people. One Peter says, In your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defence to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence or respect. Again, what we do need, we need to listen to the questions that people are asking rather than coming in with the answers. What are the questions that they're asking us? And finding a way to give a hope that we have, but to do it gently. Be imitators of God. Ephesians 5 1. We're children of God. We represent God. We need to love God those around us as Christ how did Christ love us he gave himself up for us sacrificially what's important here is not about being right but it's about building relationships with people in order for Christ to be evident in fact as we read through a lot of Ephesians he says live a life worthy of the calling that you've received so it's a daily activity to do that So for me, living as, uh, so for me, mission is living every day with Christ at the centre. It's about trying to listen to God's call on my life and then in the process of that also attempting to listen to those around me. Now the final verse is one of my my favourites. It comes, comes after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. He comes into the room, he's explained some things and he says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. To his disciples then, but us too now. 2023. 2022. Let me get ahead of myself. 2022. As the Father sent me. How did Jesus, how did God send the Father? How did he send Jesus? John 1.14 tells us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Or tabernacled with us is another translation. Eugene Peterson's The Message says, "The the word became a human, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's it. Mission is about listening about moving into the neighbourhood, about not being, about, about being humble and listening and, and listening to the stories of those around us, the people. What is it about your neighbours next door? What, and often it's harder in today's world, but what is it about your neighbour? What are the questions that they're asking? What are the questions that the people at work are asking or the people um, that, or your families? How do we respond to those? And the end of that section in, in, um, in John 20, he, send, he says, go with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't go on our own. Mission is not doing our own thing, but it's about responding to what God calls us to be and to do and to share that with those around us. I want to say thanks for the privilege of, of sharing this morning at, at Glenbrook Baptist.
You know, I used to preach every week. This is the first time I've preached in three years. And it's just a, a great privilege to do that, to share with you. But to share what really is for me, um, I don't... Sometimes we make mission out to be this great and this big thing. But it's not, because we're all doing it. We just do it in our own way. And the way you do mission is going to be different to the way I do mission. But when we listen to those around us, then God gets to walk across and God gets to impact into people's lives. Can I pray? Sovereign God, thank you that you are a God who reaches out into our world. We sang the song before that, that, that talked about God loving the world so much. And the verse afterwards says that he didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So Lord, help us as we hear the stories of people around us, not to put them down, but rather to hear their story and to hear how you can be involved in people's lives. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for their concern for this community and the community further afield. Thank you for their concern for the world. Lord, I pray that you uphold them and strengthen them. Encourage them and bless them. Empower them with your love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.